I've discovered that when people go digging into their pasts, you know, they're usually looking for good connections, famous people, people they can proudly associate themselves with. You were hoping to find Paul Revere, not Benedict Arnold in our past, aren't we? Well, Matthew did a little digging around in order to provide us with Jesus' family tree. And there are some famous people beginning back in the very uh, book of Genesis. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this about the Bible, but really it's like a soap opera. Have you ever noticed that? If How many of you have watched a soap opera for, say, 10 years. Let's see. One soap opera for 10 years. Okay, then you'll know that uh, uh, through time, uh, people are added to the family. People die. Uh, people get caught doing wrong things and family or things happen in families. You know, if you watch a soap opera. Well, if you'll read from Genesis through Revelation, you'll see a continuity of a family. Beginning with Abraham, you're going to see, actually beginning with Adam and Eve, you're going to see a continuity of a family and the saga of uh, all that's gone on all the way to the very end where one of the descendants of Adam and Eve and of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all them is going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ruling over all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And there's this continuity from the very beginning. Some people want to throw out the Old Testament and say, oh, we don't live by that anymore. But it's a part of the story. It's a part of the story. It's all a part of the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as uh, uh, as, as Abraham looks into Jesus' family tree, we see Abraham and Isaac. And then we see some surprises pop up. People that you surely wouldn't include if you were just making this all up. People that are really there, just like they're really there in our families. Instead, what we see, uh, what we see again today is that Matthew goes out of his way to let everybody know the shadowy characters that we see in Jesus's lineage. So why did Matthew highlight sinners? Because that's the point. As far as Matthew's concerned, and as far as the Bible's concerned, that's the point. Beginning with Matthew 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Salmon, the father of Boaz, it goes on down, whose mother was Rahab. This is the second time that Matthew pauses to point out who someone's mother was. And both times, he should have just skipped it and just kept on going. She has a title, Rahab does, and uh, you know what it is. Throughout history, you know, people have titles associated with their names. There's John the Baptist, John the Beloved, Jesus the Christ, 
Uriah the Hittite. Now finish these for me. Alexander the Attila the Conan the Right. Buffy the You got it. You got it. Okay. Now these are usually good things, but throughout scripture, Rahab has a very unflattering title. Rahab the harlot. She became a believer and she will be in heaven. And I'm thinking we should start now addressing her as Rahab the helper with all the choices that Matthew could have made as to who to pause and lift up. Why this one? She's not even Jewish. It's hard to reconcile her inclusion when you consider uh, all this in the light of the Old Testament law about prostitutes. Anybody uh, here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Just think about it. Anybody of you have a, a past that you're ashamed of? I remember hearing from somebody this past week that was just voicing regret over people that they'd hurt and decisions they'd made and things that they wish they had done differently. How about uh, maybe you have a, a present that you're ashamed of because of different things that are going on in your life right now. Maybe it's a habit that you're ashamed of. Well, there's good news for all of you and for me. And we see it right here. You see, God went out of his way for you to know that you can be included. If a harlot can be included, so can you. God has made his circle big enough for you. And you know what? You might even be playing a leading role in what God is uh, up to in this world. Now, her story appears in Joshua, uh, looking in, in, in chapter two. And here's kind of a summary of what's going up, what led up to uh, her really getting involved in things. Joshua is now leading Israel. It's their second time, it's children of Israel's second time to come up to the, the Jordan River. And this time they were able to cross and enter the promised land. And Joshua, has send, he sends out a couple of spies and they sneak into Jericho to check out the city uh, before they invade Jericho. And they're sneaking along the wall, apparently, and then they duck into the house on the wall to avoid detection. And this house happens to belong to Rahab. Now, she recognized them as Israelites and she hid them. And they were seen sneaking into the city and ducking into Rahab's house. And the king was informed and he sends soldiers that went to the door. And so as not to cause a scene and to embarrass whoever happened to be inside Rahab the harlot's house at that point in time, they asked for her to ask them, the spies, to step outside. 
And then she says, uh, yes, they came here, but they left just after the sunset, right before the city gate was closed. She lied, didn't she? And then she said, if you hurry, you can catch them. And so they take off and uh, they believed her. They sent a posse out looking for these spies. And now picking up in Joshua, the second chapter, the eighth verse, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the sea for when you, for you, when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Sog or to Sion and Sog, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. And they, they say, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now, when they arrive, God uh, gives Joshua uh, some unusual instructions. He says, march around one time for six days and on the seventh march seven times. And for a week, they marched around Jericho. On the seventh day, they marched seven times and the walls fell. In the midst of God's judgment on a city that had had generations of time to turn to him and refused. Here in the midst of death and chaos and fear and blood, just a lot like Aleppo right now. In a situation like that, God reaches down right in the middle and spares the life of a harlot and her family. We continue reading in Joshua 6. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, 
her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Now, this was a new category for them, uh, uh, outsiders. And so, uh, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had, had sent as spies to Jericho. And listen to this. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. The writer who wrote this passage was alive at the same time that Rahab was. That's how close the scripture is to what's happening. Eventually, this I'm just going to comment now, Rahab, as you see, incorporated into the nation of Israel. And then one afternoon, apparently she was approached by a fellow named Salmon to see if uh, she'd be interested in going out to dinner. And one thing leads to another, and they get married. And they have a son named Boaz, who married Ruth. And their great-grandson was none other than King David. No wonder Matthew throws her into the list. This is just perfect, you see. Rahab's story, you see, reflects the story of Matthew's gospel. Rahab, a woman condemned by Moses' law, is shown grace because she believed and acted in faith. Rahab, the foreigner, the outsider, Matthew could relate to that because he was a tax collector. He was an outsider. He was in the midst of the people he was born into, but they don't, did not consider him one of them anymore. Tax collectors and sinners. They were outsiders, you see. He didn't think that he would ever be considered a part of God's people. He didn't think he had a chance. And yet Jesus comes up to him and says, come, follow me. And he gets up and he steps into a brand new life. No condemnation for where he's been or what he's done. Just forgiveness and grace and mercy and a brand new life. Rahab, the foreigner, the outsider, she had no platform for personal righteousness. She couldn't stand on her good deeds and say, God, let me in. She couldn't even say that because of what she did for those Israelites that day because who she was was who she was. But there she is. God's law condemned her. God's grace spared her. Her lifestyle brought judgment. Her faith brought forgiveness. Hundreds of years later, another woman with a past would be thrown at the feet of Jesus 
And as I mentioned earlier, the story of Rahab the harlot may have been handed down through the ages, but here in, in the story of David and his adultery and all, that's a part of his family history. And here's a woman thrown down at his feet and they tell him that she has been caught in the very act of adultery. And the law says she's to be stoned. What do you say? And he says, and I'm sure that Matthew identified with this as well, and we all ought to as well. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he began to write on the ground. And as I mentioned earlier, he may have just written the word Judah because of how bad Judah was. But all of them, if he, he may have written names. He may have written Judah, Rahab, and all these others that had seen God's grace in their history and in their family lines. Whenever he looks up, they're all gone. And he says, woman, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Guilty? Yes. Condemned? No. Now, just leave your life of sin and start a brand new life in him. At the beginning of John's gospel, he says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, you're, let's face it, your story and my story could reflect the story of Matthew's gospel as well. Mine surely does. If the truth were to be known, I wonder what sort of nickname you might have. What would be your appellation? What would be the tag attached to your name? I can think of several that could be attached to me right now, but this isn't confession time, so we won't do that. Randy the coveter, Jane the greedy, Gary the glutton, Larry, the luster, Sherry, the cheater, James, the unfaithful, Sam, the swindler, Adam, the addict, Leroy, the liar, Barry, the abuser, Jeannie, the jealous, Maximus, the merciful. What would your label be? What would other people label you with if they really knew you? Because sometimes our sin can be kept very secret. But what if people really knew you, the real you? What label would they place on you? What label, if you were really honest with yourself, would you place on yourself? What kind of personal righteousness can you come to God with? Excuses? I just didn't know any better, but it was fun. You know, uh, what kind of excuses could you bring? I tried real hard, but I just couldn't seem to pull it off. Well, I'm sure not as bad as some people I know. 
I hadn't killed anybody. That's one I hear a lot. What kind of personal righteousness? The message of Matthew, the message of Jesus, the very point of Christmas and the Christmas story is that our God is a God who saves sinners while they are still sinners, not after they've cleaned up, while they're still lost in their sin. Not after they clean themselves up. He says, I am the God whose holiness does not get in the way of my mercy. If you'll recall, mercy is when you do not get what you do deserve. Grace is what you get that you don't deserve. While your past and your presence, present, your sin might drive you further from God. It doesn't drive him further from you. His righteousness doesn't negate his grace. The Christmas story is the story that God has drawn near to us. He has become flesh and lived among us and now wants to come and does come even closer through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He's drawn near to those who have drawn away from him. He reaches down to those who have been drawn away. Rahab the harlot. Her reputation is a reminder and her reputation is an invitation. It's a reminder of who we are and what we need. It's an invitation to a relationship with the only one who can do anything about it and has done something about it. Rahab the harlot, great 28 times grandmother of Jesus the Christ, the Savior. If the truth were known and you had a label, a nickname, what would it be? If you have assumed your label is an obstacle to God loving you, I hope you understand this morning that that's not so. He loves you no matter what your label. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you so much for reminding us this morning that you draw near to those who think that there is a chasm between us and you. And we know that you have reached out to us. Give us the courage, even in our sin, to reach out to you. That we might truly know your presence with us and in us in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.